Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite sports podcast in the world. I don't know what we're ranked on Spotify, but it's probably number one in your hearts if you're listening right now. It's Teen It Up with CNB. Uh, I'm your host, Connor, as always, with my co-host for another roundtable discussion. Uh, well, it's just a two-person discussion, so it's not really a roundtable. Uh, it's more of a, a square table discussion of mostly football in this episode, but how are you doing? Uh, before I go into more geometrical shapes here, oh, that that was that was a hell of an opening. I'm doing well. Um, had the had, had the Thanksgiving kind of extended break. We we get that Friday off, which is nice. So I had a nice four day weekend into a four day work week. So I'm on top of the world. Uh, feels like the week's almost over, but uh, was battling some illness throughout the uh throughout the kind of the, the holiday break was rather unfortunate because I could not breathe out of my left nostril for about. 55 60 hours which was just devastating because that's one of those things where you like never really take it or not never take it as you never appreciate how nice it is to be able to go well and that until you lose that ability yeah yeah it is it is like that they always say like the the male cold is essentially the same as uh the female giving birth in terms of the pain that they go through. So I definitely understand that. How did you go um, up with that? <laughs> uh, that's just what I've heard. But anyways, that's good Good to hear. Um, nothing new for me. Pretty standard Thanksgiving, I guess you would say. Um, yeah, I don't know. Only complaint is the turkey came out an hour late. Um, and it wasn't yes, its yeah. best. So I guess that's uh, first world problems for you. Yeah. So we'll get to a first world sport, which is uh, football. Let's get right into it. Uh, starting in college, as we all, always do. I know there was some th- a lot more Thursday, Friday action in the NFL, uh, but we'll talk about that second. Uh, to, we're going to break it down college a little different with the way uh, where we're at in the season as the regular season concluded this past weekend. Um, playoff picture. We'll get into that, but first, let's go into the kind of the big games of the week. We're just going to bang them out uh, and get into some hypotheticals here with as far as the playoff. Uh, the noon game, the big noon kickoff, called up by Gus Johnson himself. Um, Michigan for the third year in a row wins the game in Ann Arbor, thirty to twenty four over Ohio State. Uh, I know last year it ended up not being the case that it was uh, for the season as Ohio State ended up making the playoffs. This year we'll get into the very, very unforeseen chance that Ohio State has. There is a mild, ch- slight chance of that happening. This one I think is for the season. Michigan, uh, no Harbaugh. They lose their star lineman, Zach Zinter, in the middle of the game. And for all the complaints and the excuses Michigan has had over the past couple of weeks, they get it done when it matters most. Yeah, um, that was probably the best game of college football I watched all season. I would probably throw Washington, Oregon alongside it, but the stakes were higher here, so I'll give it the edge. Um, kind of a very clean game from both teams. You really only had one mistake, and that's kind of what that game was always going to be like, is whoever blinks first, whoever makes the first mistake, they're going to lose. That was Ohio State when they made the first mistake on that first interception by uh, Honda McCord. And kind of speaking about that interception, it was a little weird because Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't running a route. He was just kind of jogging. And that's not something you associate with Marvin Harrison Jr. So I don't know 
what happened, what play call was mixed up, but he was kind of just jogging some decoy runner. Next thing you know, the ball's in Will Johnson's hands. That, that I know that was kind of weird. Um, I mean, you can count the missed field goal at the end of the half as a mistake, but I think that's just kind of football. Like, listen, you're at the college level, a 52-yard field goal you're not going to consistently make. And you know what? The kicker made it the first time, but he got iced. Shaved yeah. the second one. Um, it is what it is. Uh, second half of the game, I think Michigan kind of just did what they needed to do. They played just very, very clean, ran the ball the way that you would expect them to do it, brought out the trick play at the perfect moment with that kind of pass from, I think it was Donovan Edwards. They, they, just, they did what they needed to do. Well, coach, no coach, you mentioned it. no excuses, no more sign-stealing stuff. They just came in there and they beat Ohio State. And from Ohio State's perspective, they had a chance to win the game with, with a last-minute drive. Now, obviously, yeah. that was not some – oh, my God, we have five minutes and we can march down methodically. That was more of a, oh, my God, my ass is on fire and I need to get to the bucket of water at the other end of the, at the field. But they had a chance to win the game. And uh, at the at the last two plays, I think I, I was kind of rewatching some highlights. They just couldn't protect – they couldn't protect uh, Kyle McCord. They, they, got into, they got into the other side of the 50, and it was pressure on a throw incomplete, pressure on a throw interception. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think the difference in this game for me is Michigan had an identity on offense and Ohio State didn't. Michigan, it wasn't going to be the sexy, and it's how they've won this year, and I guess you could say their only other big close game, which was Penn State, uh, is they're going to have one of the best offensive lines. They're going to throw the football. They're, they're gonna, sorry, they're going to run the ball a lot, and they're going to do that to the point where it can open up things for guys like Roman Wilson uh, and bootlegs for J.J. McCarthy off the of play-action plays. And that was their identity all season long. They stuck to it. And as for Ohio State not really having that identity, I don't really know, as like you say, it was kind of the difference is really only the one pick. And I don't agree, and I don't think Kyle McCord played bad. No, or Abuka or uh, Hart, Marvin Harrison played bad or Trayvon Henderson played bad. It's just it get, never seemed like they were in a rhythm with each other and all 12, 12, 11 guys on offense were actually uh, kind of in a, f- a flow. I, I, maybe I'm over-exaggerating, but it just never felt like they were truly 110% comfortable in what they were doing on a given play uh, or what they were trying to establish with their offense throughout the game. And I think that was kind of the difference for me is that, yeah, they had plays and they made plays and they set stuff up but it just never seemed like they had a true identity and what they wanted to establish in order to win the game. Yeah. I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty valid point. You look, I mean, you look at the players, you've got Marvin Harrison jr. The best wide receiver prospect since Calvin Johnson. You have Travion Henderson who may or may not be the first running back taken in, in the NFL draft this upcoming year. And you're right. The, we've mentioned all season that this was an Ohio state team led by their defense. Yeah, the defense gave up 30 points, but I don't think the defense played bad. They held Michigan to field goals when they needed to hold them to field goals. They they gave their they gave their offense a chance. And then, like you say, there wasn't this we didn't have that, I don't want to call it an air raid, but we didn't have the Ohio State of Justin Fields and CJ Stroud where you're gonna sit there and you expect them just to throw and throw and throw and throw and throw. And yeah, and you also didn't have a, a Michigan-esque or a Michigan level of just rushing attack with Henderson and uh, 
oh, was it the JT train him? I forget his first name, but the but the the train him kid. So it just is what it is. Sometimes I, I saw actually I was gonna get into this later, but I'll do get into it now because I saw a, a a pretty good tweet and it it was it was in defense of Ryan Day, but the overall tweet the 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 thing is the same. It's like yes, it sucks that you lose to Michigan, but Michigan's good. And beating good teams is hard, and winning championships is hard, and it's not always Ohio State's fault when when they come up short. Like sometimes you just play a, a great team and they beat you. It happens. Correct. Now the the which we can get into Ryan Day now is the real argument. I think is yeah, that's an acceptable excuse. I think and is valid, but three years in a row, um, when in my opinion, say what you want about Michigan. This is going to be a way I take. It sounds like a, a, a butthurt Michigan State fan. But I don't, in general, hold Michigan to be the same football program as Ohio State. Maybe that's because throughout our lifetime, Ohio State has been significantly better over a longer period of time. And that really, aside from these past three years, we really haven't seen it from Michigan in my lifetime specifically. And maybe I'm biased for that for, for that take. But to uh, do that three years in a row, when you bring in a better recruiting class than them every single year, it's not just these past three years. Every single year, he brings in a top four, top five recruiting class. Michigan fringe top 10 most years. I think they've had a couple where they've been, you know, five or six. But for most years, they sit around the eight to 15 range in recruiting class. They're not getting the same level of player you are to 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 a degree. I'm not talking about like Michigan State's 85th recruiting class right now with Ohio State's. We're talking about the 12th best versus the third best recruiting class, probably. But it's still not an an excuse to lose three times in a row um, in a rivalry game. So, so I don't know where that puts Ryan Day, but in your mind, but I'll start with your first point. I actually do agree with you, Ohio, and and you know what I think the narratives and the, the discussions that are currently being had by everyone prove it. When Jim Harbaugh lost three in a row to Urban Meyer, you know what people said? Oh, well, it's not fair. He's playing against Urban and give him time. And now that Ryan Day's lost three in a row, it's like, oh, this guy sucks. That I mean, yeah. that kind of you you prove the standards just by talking about it. It's like you at Michigan, you know what? Sorry, as long as we go beat everyone else, it's okay. At Ohio State, you can't do that. Now, with that said, I, I guess I'll ask you the question first. Where do you stand on Ryan Day? Is I mean are, are you one of the people who's calling for a job or you, do you think, what do you, where do you think he fits on it? Where do you think his kind of his future outlook is? And again, maybe this is, my take is maybe one of, again, a biased fan of a program who doesn't have the expectation of Ohio state every year. Uh, But I think Ohio state right now is in a very similar situation to what Michigan was in the first seven years of Jim Harbaugh's career. In that you win a lot, you, you've had success, but to your relative level of expectation, obviously it hasn't been there after losing to Michigan three years in a row. And the same argument that people had against Harbaugh, well, you want Harbaugh gone, well, who else are you going to get? Who, who, how much better are you going to do? And I think that's kind of the, uh, the argument I have for Ohio State fans is who else are you going to get? What else are you going to do? And would that really be the difference in – the fact that this guy, Ryan Day, I believe they said he's lost four other games that aren't Michigan 
at uh, Ohio State, and three of them are playoff games. Yeah, so I actually I'll, I'll get into that because I I I actually defend him. Um, you know what? He he looks like a bitch. He looks like he's always crying. We'll get that out of he the way. He was Mister Whiny. He, he he listen. I I understand that, but you look at the actual Ryan Day, the coach. He's fifty six and seven in five years at Ohio State. That that includes the loss yesterday. I don't know if he still has it, but up until this past weekend, he was the highest active uh, winning percentage of any coach in America. In three of four years, he made the playoff. In one year, he made the national title of those three. The other, he won a Rose Bowl. So this notion that, like, I, I don't see you. You mentioned how it was Michigan before. He's better than those Michigan teams when Harbaugh first showed up. They were losing three, four games a season. Yeah. You, the one thing that Ryan Day does that, you know what, um, we talk about Urban Meyer. You know what Urban Meyer's teams always did that cost them playoff spots? Lose to a shitty Big Ten West school on the road. They always did it. Mm-hmm. Purdue, Iowa. Ryan Day doesn't do that. He beats them. He continues to recruit at the same, if not better, level than Ryan Day or that Urban Meyer did. And, and like we just said is, it's not like he's losing losing to Rich Rod or Brady Hoke Michigans. Like, who who else is beating Michigan? The last time they lost in the Big Ten was to Kenny Walker. Yeah. Who else is beating him? Now, this is not – I'm not saying he's blameless and, oh, well, just because Michigan's good, that means you have to lose to him. No, I've, I've always said, like, he, he should absolutely feel pressure. But I – for people who say, oh, we got to fire him, I think you're stupid. I think you. I think you're reasonable to say that. For me, he's not. I. I think I. We agree in the general point is saying he's should get fired at the end of this season is a huge stretch. But for me, it's definitely a hot seat going into the off season. And if you do not beat Michigan at home next year, with a sign, I. I. I'm long ways away from next year. Michigan is going to be significantly worse next year. This is going to be the worst team they've had. In four years, probably since the COVID year. Yeah. If you do not beat that team at home, I think you can fire him. So I'll agree with you solely based on the fact that I would expect this Michigan team next year to have no Jim Harbaugh and probably be under some NCAA penalty already at that point. I think the NCAA will conclude their investigation sometime in the spring or early summer next year, and it'll kick into 24. And you're, yeah. not to mention you're losing your quarterback, that, your best but, receiver, both oh, running not, backs, four of your five linemen. Uh, the defensive I'm line's not, gone. Not, I'm not sure what they're losing on defense off the top of my head. but The defensive line's gone. I think it's yeah. like Will Johnson staying and or I mean, he might not be staying depending on what happens to him. But, I mean, the, you've heard people talk about it. This Michigan team maybe not expects is the right word, but people are talking about them breaking the record for most amount of draft picks in a single season. Yeah. So they're loaded. So I, I'll agree. I'll agree with you solely based on the fact that if you lose to whatever is left of the University of Michigan next season, then you're in trouble, and you probably do fire him. And maybe you maybe you think Brian Hartline's ready to take over because I think he is the next man up. I just yeah. I, I, like you say. I I don't know who. I mean, do you call Urban and say, "Hey, man, you want to come back? We know it ended poorly last time, but let's get the band back together." I don't know, but I. I I, I, I'm glad that you're kind of in agreement, I, even though at the same time I was kind of hoping you would want him fired just to have a little bit more of a passionate debate here. But I, I, I think firing Ryan Day is the, the incorrect move, and maybe this just shows the standards of the of the of Ohio State University where it's like, 
well, shit, if you don't win a national championship within three or four years, you're bum. Maybe that's the case. Right. I, I, I just, I do not understand how you could possibly think that firing is a good thing. I just think there's some Ohio State fans, and I talked about how high I regard their program in general, even relative to Michigan. I think there's some Ohio State fans that can't, in their mind, literally can't accept something that's not Urban Meyer going 7-0 and against Michigan. And that's that's not how the law of averages work, no matter if Urban was still there. There's no way he would be 12-0 and at this point or whatever it is. It would be. Yeah, and I don't know that. I enjoyed the Ryan Day discussion. I think it's interesting. Um, let's get to the next big game, the Iron Bowl. Um, for the second time in three years, Auburn completely blows blows a chance to beat Alabama. Oh man. Um, Bama did not look great. Now, granted, I know it's rivalry week. You're in Jordan Hare. It's not supposed to be easy, but they looked lethargic. I mean, it was fourth in a million, and somehow you give up a touchdown, which is just beside me. I mean, we we were um, we were eating dinner at a, a bar with some friends, and collectively, you had probably fifty people all gasp at the same time. Like you kind of like heard like forks hit the table and a glass hit the table, and you're like, "Oh my god!" And then everyone's looking up, and it's it, it was outrageous that play. Yeah, uh, what a what a ball by Jalen Milrow, who did not throw the ball well at all in that game. Um, he looks like a new court. As much as you want to criticize, I think most of that game and the flack Alabama deserves from that game goes to the defense. Uh, Peyton Thorne ran all over them. Their front seven looked horrible. Uh, and that's kind of not been their MO this year. They've kind of been this team that's going to run the ball with Jalen Milrow, wind the clock down. They're going to get their 24 to 31 points with him uh, and then play good defense that gives up less than 20 points a game. And that not necessarily, that not was that was not the case, there we go, uh, against Auburn. Uh, and it took, like you said, a miracle play uh, where he throws a hell of a deep ball. As, as, you know, as, he as, as critical as people ball. are of that path, his passing skill, it's a beautiful looking and actually largely accurate deep ball. It's just this these weird 10 to 25 yard throws he seems to not be able to do. You know what his deep ball reminds me of? The Russell Wilson moon balls that would always just fall into Tyler yeah. Lockett's arms. Yeah, I see that. Like, it's not like a. T- like, like, I'm gl- I I know you know what I'm gonna say. Like I think for those who kind of are as nerdy as they are when it comes to football as you and I are, Russell Russell Wilson has like a he has a unique style of throwing ball where like it doesn't zip into the receiver at a certain point. It just drops in there. It kind of reminds yeah, me of that. It feel Russell. It's weird to describe because I describe him as someone with a good arm, but it looks like like you said that there's just almost like this weird. Like a, it's like a, uh, yeah, no, it's super interesting. (laughs) Yeah. For the ones who are, who do not have a camera right now and cannot see Connor going and trying to mimic a projectile here, we are mimicking Russell Wilson's ball flight, but it, I don't know. That's just what I get anytime I watch it. And I just like think to myself, wow. Yeah. Lock it on the end of this with some neon green uniforms. It's CenturyLink field. Or Lumen Field, whatever you call it these days. But 
that that's kind of there's not too much more to talk about the Iron Bowl. I, I think there's not as much storylines. Auburn's six and six. Enjoy the Cheez It Bowl. Uh, I don't know. I guess Peyton Thorne made the right decision. He wouldn't have made a bowl game. At that's true. Good for good for that lad. Um, do we want to get into the CFP scenarios? Or do we want to talk about the Jonathan Smith hiring first? Um, let's go into Jonathan Smith because I'll be honest, I don't have as much to say about it. Uh, Michigan State hires Jonathan Smith over the weekend uh, to be their next football coach. He formerly um, has been the coach for a while now at Oregon State, uh, a program not necessarily known for uh, necessarily winning, and he's won, uh, I believe, 17 games over the past two seasons. Has kind of turned that program around, done a good job recruiting. Uh, I'll start by it's a boring name, Jonathan Smith, for uh, a boring hire, personally. I mean, I think it's – I don't necessarily think it's the wrong decision. It's not the flashy Urban Meyer rumor mill stuff that people were saying. Uh, but I think it's good because it's one that I, I saw and I was like, okay, I'm not angry about this, but I'm also really not that excited about this because I don't really see him coming in. Um, I guess I don't know enough about him and his cult, what he's going to bring culture wise to really say, okay, I see this thing turning around in, in, you know, a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll just, we'll kind of quickly get to the urban Meyer thing. I, ne- I never thought it was a real possibility. So Me I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, I'm disappointed. We didn't get urban. We're never getting urban. Um, no. so in terms of a, a reasonable hire. I mean, I've mentioned it all the time. Like he was my number one choice, probably slightly ahead of Elko, but they got the guy they wanted. The other thing that was nice is firing Mel Tucker as early as they did. That kind of allowed us to start searching for a head coach earlier than other teams, which was nice. Yeah. Someone, someone said to me, I forget who, uh, Oh, it seems like they kind of rushed into it. And I was like, I, I don't know. You you can't. Well, you had all year to look and be the way the transfer portal uh, and recruiting works is you need a guy to be there in December. You're not going to have anyone on your football team come yeah. next September. So yeah. um, it, it's nice because unlike the Mel Tucker hire when when D'Antonio just disappeared on a random February night and we had two days before the high school signing period ended to hire someone. This does this does feel like it was thought out. Um you look at kind of the the rumors where people are saying Alan Haller told no one anything, and that's why this kind of just came out pretty or the pretty much the first name you actually heard linked with Michigan State's job was Jonathan Smith. After people were saying, "Hey, he's taking it," I, so I, I like how I like how that yeah. was handled. Um, Haller does have a good track record of hiring coaches. You look at hockey. You look at women's soccer. Deepest the deepest tournament yep. run the school's ever had. So he's got a good track record hiring coaches. Obviously it's not that simple. That that doesn't mean it's going to translate to this, to this kind of just, it, I mean, college football is a different breed of sport. With yeah. Goes it's into its it. own athletic department. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it is the athletic department. People, people keep the lights on because of it. But um, I think, yeah, you, you mentioned the not being too familiar with, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've watched a million Oregon state games in my life. I haven't. I know that he does like to run the ball. He's got an offense that can translate to the Big Ten. He's an offensive-minded coach. Yeah, he's an offensive-minded coach. He's young. He's not 60. He's not Pat Shermer. So, bonus points there. 
um i mean you look at the stuff that's kind of come out since then uh i i don't know if you've seen kind of which of the staff he's bringing with him from oregon state he's taking his offensive coordinator a couple of kind of the smaller position groups i think the tight ends coach is coming with him i believe the running backs coaches as well and then on the defensive side i think he's kind of hasn't done much with taking people there I saw that Harlan Barnett said that he would stay at Michigan State if he does not get a head coaching job, which I believe is probably good for the program. Yeah. He he didn't really say in what capacity, but he's like, as long as Jonathan Smith will have me and I don't have a head coaching job, I want to be here. I'm Spartan. Kind of gives you a, a Midwest guy. That's that's another thing that he'll have to yep. do is what he is a West Coast guy, as you mentioned. Yep. He'll have to surround that was himself my, yep, that was with people who understand Michigan recruiting, Ohio recruiting, Pennsylvania recruiting. Maybe that's stuff that Mel Tucker kind of forgot about. And I I don't see why it can't be successful. I just. Oh, and I get, uh, I'm sorry, I, I lost that train of thought. And then I remembered as we talk about more developments, oh, Michigan State, both of the quarterbacks that we expected to be there next season are now in the portal. Yeah. With Sam Levitt and Kattenhauser. Um, Oregon State had a high rate, highly, uh, recruited highly rated kid Aiden Childs yeah who sat behind DJ this year or this past year and was scheduled to kind of be the starter after that can you bring him with him I really hope so because if Sam Levitt is gone as well I really don't want to play the transfer portal game with anyone else hmm. so I think I think there will be some interesting things there where if, if uh if Childs doesn't come with him I think we're already off to a bad start because I have no idea he was going to play quarterback then but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, if I had to give myself an overall kind of excitement rating or like coach rating, I'd give it an eight out of ten. But in in my opinion, there's nothing else or there's no one else that could have been ranked higher than that. You yeah. were never getting Urban Meyer. He probably would have been the one ten out of ten that everyone would love, but you were never getting him. So eight out of ten, two thumbs up for you, Jonathan. I look forward to seeing what you can do. I also like that they made the hire before Texas A&M. I know that's kind of one of the schools that is probably going to be looking at similar candidates. Oh, they already uh, hired Elko. Oh, they did hire Elko? They did hire Elko. So who is rumored to be the second choice for Michigan State. So I'm, I like that they did that. Uh, as far as Oregon State, as the 60th recruiting ranking for next year, they only have one four-star recruit coming in. So I think he's got – it's going to – even if he brings over what Oregon State was going to bring, there's going to be some growing pains this next year. You mentioned, which is my biggest worry, is the West Coast. Uh, I believe he's an Oregon State alum. He, he's from California. He's really only been a head coach on the – really only coached on the West Coast. Uh, and the more positions that he brings of guys from Oregon State, the more I worry that there aren't going to be the connections – as you mentioned in the Midwest, that it takes to recruit on a high level because, face it, uh, even a good Michigan State roster is regional recruiting. You're yes. only getting a select handful of guys outside of the Midwest every year. You need to recruit in the Midwest. You need to recruit in the state of Michigan. You need to be um, competing for recruits, quite frankly, with Michigan in the state of Michigan. Uh, and to not have, you know, just it might sound mundane and, uh, unimportant as having relations with, you know, uh, high level high school coaches and uh, position player coaches in the area uh, and not having just general connections or even knowing people uh, is a bit of a worry. 
as far as how recruiting works, especially these days. Uh, but like you said, I'm not going to harp on the decision because he was one of the guys uh, deserving of this upgrade. I think it is an upgrade. I'm curious. I'm optimistic. Um, I just like it's I'm optimistic and it's like, yes, it's a new chapter for Michigan State. But uh, the greedy side of me is kind of like, okay, well, I'm not going to reap the rewards of this hire for at least two years. So we'll see. It, 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 it'll be, it, 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 I think it's a good first step being able to be the first school to make the hire because you were the first school to make the fire. That was nice. That kind of puts you ahead of the eight ball as opposed to when you hired Mel Tucker and you were behind the eight ball. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't really have too much more to say about that. Um, should we get into the CFP scenarios get coming into the conference championship weekend? Yeah. Uh, so with one more week, as far as conference champions, Let's get into the scenarios. You just want to go team by team and say what needs to happen? Yeah. Um, I think the first two are probably the easiest. The University yeah. of Michigan, I think we both believe, is already in regardless of what they do to Iowa. And at least I, that's what I think. Uh, I think there's a way they lose to Iowa and are not in. Okay, well, okay, for the sake of it, let's pretend like the University of Michigan scores six points and Iowa's screwed because they cannot score six points against Michigan. Michigan yeah, I mean, wins. that's the problem is, like, why even throw the type? They're a 24-point favorite yeah. in a conference championship game. That's so pathetic. Um, Michigan's in. Um, yeah. That's the simple one. I then move to Georgia just because I'm, I'm going to kind of go down based off, like, what I think the ratings will be right now um, when, when they come out tomorrow. Georgia, obviously pretty simple winning you're in. And yep. I think that as we're going to get into it uh, later, if they lose to Alabama, you open up Pandora's box. And then God forbid what happens after that, because two teams or three teams or one team is going to feel very, very, very screwed. Yeah, that Georgia-Alabama game kind of is it as far as not only, I mean, I guess you would could say Michigan losing or uh, the Pac-12 game is is dramatic too, but as far as opening up scenarios for not only the two teams playing but others involved, specifically, I look at Texas. Um, that's the biggest game of the weekend, I think, and it's the most possible because I could see this going either way. I personally think Georgia is much better than Alabama uh, and is going to take care of business, and this won't even happen. Uh, especially after we talked about the struggles they had on defense in the Iron Bowl. Um, but, yeah, so that's George's outlook, obviously. Um, I'll get to the Pac-12 game, and I'm actually going to combine them just because I believe the winner of the Pac-12 game is in. Guaranteed. Yep. That's a lock. Yep. If you're Washington, you're an undefeated champ. You can't keep them out. If you're Oregon, you've avenged your only loss, and you play like one of the best teams in America for the last two months, you're in. And I think the loser, Oregon, obviously a second loss, non-conference champ, they would be out. If Washington lost, they would start kind of hoping for that, oh, I need him to lose and him to lose and him to lose and him to lose and him to lose, just to try and get to a point where it's them versus Ohio State for the four seed. So I think it's more of a win and you're in, losing you're done. But Washington does have half a foot to stand on Saturday night if they end up losing to Oregon. Yeah, so I kind of had the only way Washington uh, – St. Oregon is is simple win, you're in, out, you're not. Uh, Washington, same way, win, you're in. Um, and really the only way I see them making it in is 
Um, they would need Florida State to lose, which a lot of teams, if they lost, would need Florida State yep. to lose. Um, and they would need uh, Texas to lose. I think they need Bama to lose as well. You think – well, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, they would too. Yeah. And so then, then – well, then on. I'm thinking – then you open the debate into it would be them and Georgia as one loss non-conference champions. I think you can make the argument that Washington has played a tougher schedule this year, but they're not going to leave out Georgia. Yeah. Um, so I think you would really need probably uh, Florida State, Texas, and Alabama to lose. And, and so the one thing I'll chance. even – only thing I'll mention to that is even then you open up the Ohio State versus Washington discussions. Now, I don't think that's necessarily fair because why should Washington be punished for being good enough to play a 13th game when Ohio State sat at home? But they will have that discussion of Ohio State 11 and 1 or Washington 12 and 1. I'm not yeah. saying it's a fair discussion, but it'll happen. Yeah, it will happen. And Ohio State has the benefit uh, of unlike Michigan, because I thought about this today. Well, Michigan would have this. Well, we really only played two teams, and a lot of these teams have played more than two competitive games. Uh, Ohio State does have the benefit of they also played a ranked Notre Dame team. Um, so, and they might played a much tougher Big Ten West schedule as well. Uh, they, I mean, I don't think Ohio State has any chance. Uh, personally, the only only chance they have is they would actually want Washington to win. Yes. Yeah, they, there's one they scenario. All the undefeated teams, to, all the undefeated teams right now to win, and they would need all the one-loss teams so, to lose. FSU needs to lose as well. FSU, yep. you're right. Yeah, yeah FSU, Bama, Texas, all lose. Yeah, Ohio State's in the position where they need four teams to lose. It has to be those exact four teams. Any other combination, they're out. And um, it, then it becomes kind of a situation of Notre Dame. I think it was two years ago where they sat there and watched a lot of two-loss teams. Uh, unfortunately, not enough because they didn't make it, but there became that argument of, uh, are we going to reward a team that sat on their ass and played? Uh, but it also happened last year to Ohio State, and they got in. So Yeah, it, albeit against, a weaker, against a weaker rest of the, the country. FSU, simple. And I actually, I actually think FSU might be the simplest one just because if they win, you're 13-0, oh, yeah. you're a Power 5 champ. We don't care how bad the ACC is. We don't care if you don't have a quarterback. That's not fair to keep you out because of that. You win, you're in. If you lose, that's where you're the out. quarterback thing will, yeah, you're out. I don't care if you're 12-1. and one. I don't care if you went undefeated in the regular season. You don't have your quarterback. You will get assaulted by the committee. So FSU winning in, losing out. And this kind of brings us to the two teams here. I mentioned Alabama and Texas. Um, Texas, I'll start with the easier of the two. If Texas wins or if Texas loses, they're out. Yep. If Texas wins, there's no guarantee they're in. No. And this is going to be a weird one. Uh, in as far as what I worked out for them to get in, this is my opinion because it's not actually tried and true. They need uh, either Michigan or Florida State to lose. Hmm. I, I I think Florida State's the big one that'll kind of keep them out. Like I've said, the Pac-12 winners in. I think Michigan's good. I think. Well, I, well I'm saying uh, if Michigan, if it can't comes down to it, you can't put a one-loss Michigan non-conference champion who lost to Iowa in over Texas. Who Texas lose to? One-loss conference champion. Who Texas lose to? Oklahoma. Uh oh. Don't doesn't Oklahoma have three losses? Whether the I'll make the argument. Uh, yeah, whether, I mean, like 
they're probably three or four teams off a of ranking, but are we're gonna do we're gonna do this Iowa team that can't score points and compare them to, you know, a rivalry game uh, at a neutral site I'll that just, they lost by in overtime. I'll just make the argument that Michigan would also be playing a neutral site game against Iowa. Iowa losing to Iowa, if Iowa beat them, would be a higher quality loss than losing to Oklahoma, and you have a better win than uh, Texas would have in Ohio State. But but is it? Texas beat beat Alabama at Alabama by 30. Was it 30? It was like 18. I exaggerated. That's fair. It was on the road versus Ohio State at home. But if Alabama's lost to Georgia, Alabama's got two losses. That's no better than Penn State. Yeah. Michigan also beat. The the one thing I'll say that I don't – maybe this is me completely rewriting the rule book because I know we've always valued conference champions, but – in certain regards, whether I lose to a team in the regular season or in the conference championship, you've already killed what conference championships mean by, by expanding the playoff because you killed what bowl games mean. So who cares if I have an auto bid to the Rose Bowl? anymore? Sorry, it doesn't matter. I, I, I just think that there is an argument to be made there. I'm not going to sit here and die on that hill, but I do think that there would be a debate. Yeah, I, I mean, I, as far as a four-team playoff, I died pretty hard on the conference champion. I think when you, I look at two one-loss teams, uh, and you can really, it, as long as the schedules aren't really drastically different, uh, which, to be honest, as much as you could criticize the Big Ten this year uh, or criticize the ACC this year, they're not that drastically different than what the those two SEC teams in the Hunter really yeah. actually played, in my opinion. Then the deciding factor is usually if it's not head to head, which it's probably not is a conference. Yeah. And the other thing that you would bring into fold is Michigan's non-conference schedule. That would get questioned of, Hey, you played Northern Illinois three times, whereas Texas went into Tuscaloosa. So that's fair. maybe I just talked myself into that, but then let's get to Alabama. This is like we mentioned, this is Pandora's box. Um, Losing your out. That's the easy one win and god knows what happens because then if you're 12 and 1 Alabama and Texas is also 12 and 1 well we have to honor the games that were played on the field and Texas beat you in your own house i know it was in september but Texas beat you in your own house so like how can you keep Alabama in for Texas but then there's the georgia angle if Alabama's 12 and 1 and Georgia's 12 and 1 and Alabama's beating Georgia shouldn't Alabama be ahead of Georgia but should Texas be ahead of Alabama, who's ahead of Georgia? Should so Pac-12 winner be win? Is that, I think is, there's there's so is, much pandemonium. Is this under the assumption that Florida State's lost? Because I actually think there's a scenario where everybody wins, and we see and Alabama wins, and we see no SEC team in this. So that would be Michigan Pac-12 winner. That would be SEC, that would be Texas. Michigan Washington, Florida State Texas. You'd have three I mean, undefeated conference champions and a team that beat Alabama. Yeah, so based on how the games – you play the games for a reason. We don't just let 24-7 tell us who the four most talented teams are and then they go play. You're right. We play the games on the field for a reason. I think that's how you would have to rank it. But you, you have know, to. You, no, but you know they that – ES, Listen, ESPN is in bed with the SEC with TV money. ESPN owns the playoff. There isn't, in my opinion, there's no scenario where uh, a one loss or better SEC champs not in. But then, and that's and that's what I'm saying. That's where someone or two someones or maybe even three someones are going to get screwed here, yeah. and it's going to be terrible because you're going to sit here and 
maybe it's fitting that for the first time in a decade, we actually have six or seven or maybe even eight teams that have a legitimate shot at a playoff claim. Whereas in most seasons, we just had five and like one team got to say, well, this isn't fair. Because this year we really did have kind of an expanded field of kind of contenders, but it's going to be outrageous. And for the sake of two things, I am actively rooting for Georgia, and I am actively rooting for FSU. FSU, A, because I or, – or for – did I say FSU or Louisville? You say FSU. Oh, no, I'm actively rooting for Louisville. I'm sorry. Uh, you and I have always said we don't really think Florida State's that good. We don't think they're a top-four team. But you honor what's happened on the field. If yep. they're 13-0, and they're in. Whether they're starting me at quarterback, Jordan Travis at quarterback, or the, the TikTok kid at quarterback. You got to honor that. So it, it's going to be insane and we'll see what happens. So, I, but I am rooting for that scenario just to be taken off the board. And then I'm also rooting for Georgia to beat Alabama because I don't want to deal with, Oh, but he did this and he beat me and I beat him and why play the games? And I, I just want it to be pretty much as clean as possible. Yeah. And I actually think that might, I think, I, I think Georgia is by far the best team in the country at this point. I think they're rounding into form to, uh, we've repeatedly said this is the worst of the last three years of the Georgia team. I think the last few weeks they've they've rounded into form where they are comparable or comparable to those past two year teams, and I think they take care of Alabama handedly. Uh, Michigan will beat Iowa by sixty. Uh, Florida State will lose. I do think Louisville, coming off a loss, will be hungry and without the the uh, Jordan Travis, Florida State's not going to be the same team. They'll, they'll find a way to choke. Um, I think Oregon beats Washington. Uh, they're the third team instead. And my fourth team will then be Texas. Yeah, that I'm, I'm going to go with that. However, I've been on the Washington train all season. So I'll say, you know what? Give me Washington as the two or three seed, uh, with a win over Oregon, but give me Texas as the four seed. Okay. There you have it. That's the college football. That's college football. Yeah. Ne- hey, listen, next time we talk, we're going to know what happens. Yeah. Yeah. That'll well, be, that'll be wait, fun. Don't they do those on Tuesday, the Tuesday after? No, I thought they did them Saturday right after the last conference title game ended. Oh, do they? I, don't I, I feel like I have vague memories of like the, the Big Ten title game is like the last one that usually ends. It's the night game. And then they, yeah. they cut it and it's like, we're going to ESPN. And they show us who's in. Dude, that that sounds like March Madness. I mean, or maybe that's what I'm thinking of, where that's where uh, the Big Ten is the last one, because the Big Ten yep. usually has the last uh, postseason game. Yep. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Maybe it is a Tuesday of who's in. I don't know. That's we'll, we'll deal with that later. Yeah, we'll maybe get we'll do there. a special we'll live reaction episode if it is Tuesday. But let's get to the big boys, the, the ones on Sunday. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with our frauds, the NFL's frauds? Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with the NFL's frauds. Okay. Um, my fraud of the week is the Carolina Panthers organization. Now, Oof. if you want to bring this down to David Tepper as a whole because he's an impulsive idiot, you can yeah. do that. Um, so, I actually, it's funny. I, I told you about this, but for those listening, they don't know. I, I was doing my notes this morning at work before the news came out that they fired Frank Reich, and I'm like, the Carolina Panthers are frauds. They're idiots. You sit there, and the last 12 months of their team just makes no sense. 
where you trade away multiple first, multiple seconds, and DJ Moore to trade up from nine to one. When now, obviously, I know the reports came out the Bears really wanted DJ Moore, whereas the Panthers wanted to give their 2025 first as well and make it three firsts. Obviously, the Bears won at the end because DJ Moore plays for them. But then reports come out that, oh, the Panthers are looking to trade for a wide receiver one. Well, you traded away your wide receiver one. You drafted Jonathan Mingo as the fifth receiver overall off the board. He looks terrible. I don't know mm. if you've seen some of the videos. He he looks like he's running around with a, like a chicken with his head cut off. There was one there was one throw from this past weekend where Bryce Young just kind of basically throws it maybe a little a little behind Jonathan Mingo, but you keep, you would expect the Jonathan Mingo to slow down so he doesn't run out of bounds. And he does this flying three sixty stupid move and just almost hurts himself. I'll send you the video because I cannot do it justice by <laughs> explaining it. But he looks like he's running around like a like a chicken with his head cut off. Then you come to the fact that you've you surrounded yourself with a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks need help. Yeah. You don't have a receiver for him. I mean, you've got Adam Thielen. Cool. Your offensive line's okay. You've given away premium draft selections in the upcoming seasons. You gave away your second round pick in last year's draft too. So you're surrounding yourself with, or you've given away four of your top six draft choices for the next three years. What what what's Bryce Young supposed to do? You're, no, you're, yeah. You fire his head coach. You fire his offensive coordinator. You fire his QB's coach. You pay Miles Sanders twenty five million dollars to bench him nine weeks into the season. What are you? What are they doing? Just, uh, I think it's what is one man doing? I'm sorry, yeah. what are what one person? It, like I said, maybe this is maybe this should be David Tepper as the fraud of the week because I think there were the reports that he really wanted Bryce Young. The others weren't fully sold on Bryce Young. I'm not going to sit here and revisionist history and say that, oh, Frank Reich was screaming for Stroud. There were reports that David Tepper was the one who drafted Bryce Young and everyone else just went along with it because you don't piss off the guy who signs your checks. Um, But I just think that he's the richest owner in the sport. He really, really wants to win, and he's a huge fan. And you know what? That's good. That's, that's something that some Detroit – Sports teams don't have. They have apathetic owners. Shout out, Chris Illich. You're a disgrace to your father. But someone's got to sit this man down and just say, David, we can win. You give us so much support. You give us you give us coaches that are higher high paid. You fire those coaches when they're not performing to get a different high paid coach. But please, for your own sake, if you want to see somebody win, take a step back for a few yep. years. Go to the go to the Caymans. Go sail around Bora Bora for two years. Let someone else bottom out this organization, gut this organization, and truly organically build the team. Because he is an idiot. I, yeah, that was super well said. Um, it's not going to be, and it, it's hard to tell someone worth twenty billion dollars. Hey, man, uh, to turn this thing around, we're actually going to not need you in the office having meetings with the coach every day. Uh, it's going to take years for him to probably realize that as a newer owner. Uh, and it's not going to, it's going to take him failing at this a couple of times to finally realize what the process is going to look like as an owner to actually being successful. Uh, so I feel bad for Carolina Panthers fans. Cause I don't think this is going to change anytime soon. Um, it eventually will, but not anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great fraud. My fraud of the week is the Seattle Seahawks. 
we watched three. Aside from the Lions kind of scoring a garbage time touchdown to make it a one-score game, we watched three pretty terrible, not close football games for most of Thursday. Uh, and this was just one of them. A team that I think weeks ago, especially after the way they beat the Lions in week two and had some other wins, uh, I believe the Lions are the only team above 500 they've actually beaten. Uh, Geno Smith has come back to earth heavily at this point, and it looks like they're going to need a quarterback sooner than later. Um, and they're just really not that good. They kind of fall into this, like, they'll get a playoff spot. It's kind of how I feel about the Lions right now. They're just going to get a playoff spot because they're just better than the bottom, and the bottom is a lot of teams in the NFC right now. Yeah, I think the Geno Smith thing that you mentioned is huge. Last year, we saw him come back down to earth towards the end of the season. This year, same thing, and it's just kind of He's showing he's Geno Smith. Like it, he, it was a really cool story for the first seven weeks of last year, where he was kind of lighting it up, and it was like, "Well, who's this guy? Who's this Geno Smith that we've never seen before?" But he's kind of going back to Geno, Geno, and that that's okay. That's who he is. It's just first, if you're Seattle at this point, you're kind of starting to fall into a point of like, thank God. I mean, I guess I was about to say something bad, but thank God this is going to be one of the deeper QB classes in recent memory where they could probably get a franchise quarterback with a mid first, maybe even second round pick, depending yeah. on how the board falls, what happens with Bo Nix, Michael Penix, maybe JJ Daniels. Uh, yeah, JJ, like you look at it, obviously Drake may Caleb Williams are going to be picks probably one and two, if not one and three, depending on how the board falls after that. I don't really know when the quarterbacks start going, and maybe that's in Seattle's favor. If we don't have to move up, we can stay at 19 or wherever they end up picking. And you know what? Maybe we really like Michael Penix. Maybe he fits what we want to do and how we want to run and throw the ball. Maybe Bo Nix is that guy, but I think that they, they are in a position where you got to take a quarterback this year. Yeah, I think the last mock draft I read had Jaden Daniels as that third quarterback, and that was until like 15. Uh, so it's interesting, this quarterback draft, because it's Drake May and Caleb Williams, who two are two of the better prospects in a while. I know we had two fairly highly regarded ones at the top last year with Stroud and uh, Young. And then it's a lot of big-time, really good college quarterbacks that I think people have question marks as far as the NFL. And it will be interesting to see where they're go- they go, because there are a number of them. I just list we just listed off three off the top of our heads and JJ Phoenix uh, and uh, Bonex, sorry. And Jane I there, Daniels some, Jaden Daniels. Uh, I mean Jordan Travis coming off an injury, but I think he's another one that was probably in that second to third round discussion. Uh, there's a lot of really good college quarterbacks that people are just not sure how it will actually translate, and it'll be interesting to see uh, as we get closer to April where they actually go or mm-hmm. fall. Agreed. Uh, your game of the week. Um, I think there's kind of two options here. I feel like you're going to go with the Bills Eagles, so I went with the Texans and the Jags. Yeah, I was, uh, and I, I I liked I I think those are two great options. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, for me it was the battle of the AFC South lead. Um, I mentioned last week Trevor Lawrence kind of used that big performance. He played very well. Continues his kind of resurgence of hey we're not just winning and I'm the quarterback of the team we're winning because I'm making great plays we've got I mean it was an interesting game the Jags kind of controlled it the entire time um 
you kind of you had that interesting decision with one second left in the second quarter at the three yard line of do we kick and take three guaranteed points or do we go for it? Doug Peterson, Mr. Aggressive, went for it, got stopped, and you kind of felt, you know what? Maybe this is what the Texans used to turn the tide. Nope. The 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 Jags kind of continue to dominate, not dominate, but continue to control the game. They were always kind of that one step ahead, just staying just out of reach. As usual, I, I don't know why this always seems to happen, but Texans score to make it a one-possession game. Texans get the ball back, and CJ Stroud starts leading down the field, dink and dunk. And they end up with a fourth and 19 and they send out their kicker for a 60 yard field goal, which I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because like, I think it was the right move. It's fourth and 19. I don't really know what you would have tried to do beforehand, but, but I did have the discussion with a friend at lunch today and he was like, well, you should rather trust CJ Stroud, your number two overall pick. And I understand the principle of, Hey, we have one guy who was on the couch two months ago and a kicker. And we also have the guy we draft number two overall. But this, like I said, it's not fourth and five. It's fourth and 19. What are you realistically going to do with that? And then you got to kick it again afterwards. Yeah, I actually really don't see the argument in trying to go for it at all. Uh, hey, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe my friend's just an idiot. But I, 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 mean, I, thought, I thought it was a good there. decision. It's there. I, yeah. I like, like a 60 yard field goal is no gimme. You have to know your kicker at the end of the day. I also thought. And maybe this is I was I'm just tripping on what I also thought he kind of like got and I, I think you could tell by his reaction the kicker he kind of like I don't say got under it but like kind of knew and reacted like he didn't actually get like he kind of just popped it up a little bit and obviously it was a foot away from uh, winning a game or not winning a game oh it um, would take him to overtime but overtime, um sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was like that. I mean, from 60 yards, I think – I don't really care who you are unless you quite literally have a cannon for a leg. I think you're just kicking as hard as you can with the technique that you know that kicks the ball the farthest. I don't I don't know. I don't know if there's that many yeah, – I'm not saying he angle. wasn't trying to do that. I'm saying, like, it did. It just – he didn't get all – like, he knew he didn't get all of it, it right away. Maybe I need to rewatch that because, I, I don't know, I just kind of saw him, like, put his head down. He was like, well, damn. And then you kind of saw all of the fans in the stands and – they pan over to Stroud, and it's just a lot of people with their mouths open. It, it it was tough because I mean a sixty yard kick is not easy, and like you said, he was five inches, three inches, depending on how the how that ball could have bounced from making it. That yeah, to crazy. talk about to kind of transition into my game, someone that uh, make Elliott could make it. He he had a sixty yarder to force overtime that was good from seventy in the pouring rain. Um, That's. That's the most impressive field goal I've ever seen. I know we all watched Justin Tucker break the NFL record against us two, three years ago, but that Jake Elliott thing, that's the most impressive field goal I've ever seen. Yeah. With the game on the line, 59 yards. Thing was good by nine yards uh, in the pouring rain and wind. It was super impressive. And the Eagles just – I, I think I texted it in a, a sports group chat we're in together. The Eagles never look like they're dominating everyone. But they anyone this year, but they just have it in quotation marks. They have it. They whether it's they have guys that make big plays and big opportunities, and you can call it luck. But they've done it last week, mm-hmm. this week, every week. They have it. They have players that have that moxie and are dogs, 
And I think it just results in them being a very good football team and very tough to beat. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday uh, with the Bills, who really looked like they were in control for a lot of that game. But again, it's just the Eagles in big opportune times make big plays. Jason Kelsey has the worst fourth quarter drive of probably his life. Two false starts in three plays. Future (laughs) Hall of Famer. But what does he do? He turns around in overtime and lays a pancake block on the last play of the game. Yep. So they just got guys that make big time plays in big, big situations. And it's not necessarily always dominant, uh, obviously, by some of their scores this week. And people are I've heard some talk of like how this is just how they're one of the more overrated 10 and one teams. And I just like I don't know if that's the case when you have guys that beat luck week in and week out in making big time plays in big time situations. Yeah, it, it, I mean, kind of slightly going off topic, but it starts with Howie Roseman. They got the best GM in football. He puts together a loaded roster year over year. He knows when to make trades, when to make free agent signings, how to do both of those things, how to draft, when to draft, who to draft. And it just, it just translates to a culture of they've got these young guys now that are kind of just learning from the Jason Kelsey's, the, the Lane Johnsons, the ones who've been around, the Fletcher Coxes, the Brandon Grahams of that team. They've been there. They've learned, and they're going to be ready to take up the torch and run it for the next five, ten years. And it's annoying because, first of all, Philadelphia fans suck, and they don't deserve a team good enough that like that that good. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, any other NFL notes before the Lions? Uh, I feel like we – did we talk about surprise of the week? Oh, no, we didn't. Surprise of the week. Um, my surprise of the week, uh, is the Denver Broncos. I yeah, that's fine. Them, yeah. I think we mentioned them last week. Hottest team in football. Winners of five straight. The defense looks completely unrecognizable from the one that gave up 70 to Miami. The offense is getting better and better. Russ starting kind of look a little bit like the Seattle Russ. And they're, they're sitting in the dead middle of the playoff picture, which is wild because they were one in five. They were probably one of the worst teams in football, and now they've got every right, and I almost expect them to be a wild card team at this point. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'll say the defense, because uh, I hate Denver, and we, I, I believe you said, quote, they're one of those teams you don't feel bad about when they're bad, and now that they've kind of come back on this win streak, uh, I'm going to say a diss because I still don't like them is – they did this against PJ Walker and DTR today. Uh, that defense, nothing to write home about. Um, I think Amari Cooper got hurt in this game. Um, Miles Garrett did. Not that that has anything to do with the uh, Broncos defense, but yeah, they're a team now that you look at. I think uh, in two weeks, two or three weeks, when the the Lions play them, that we had kind of circled as a for sure win, and now uh, I start to worry because they are. Every bit a wow. They're not like this. I mean, they beat the Chiefs, but they're not this world stopping. Like, I don't see them. They're not winning the division, not at least in the AFC East. So they're not one of the top dogs. Um, but yeah, they're every bit of wild card team, especially with the Bengals season is over. I really think uh, as good as the Texans are with CJ Stroud this year, who knows if they're ready to complete a full season and actually be right there uh, in the wild card hunt in week 18. Uh, and then really other than that, you then look at probably what the uh, the Browns who are now on their fourth string quarterback, it seems like at this point at seven and four, 
uh, and the Bills at six and six. Yeah, I mean, Bengals are dead. Yeah, so it, it's really interesting. I know we Steelers. talked about. Uh, Dude, I, I don't know if you've seen the Steelers' schedule. The Steelers are going to go at twelve and five, and I think they suck. Yeah, so how do they do this every year where it seems like they're this the worst? Like there it was the year they went two two or three years ago now where they went eleven and four after starting off or twelve and four after starting off ten and zero. Um and everyone knew they were bad. And it's like this year, say what you want about getting four hundred yards, they still only scored sixteen points and beat a bad Drake Jake Browning Bengals team by six. Like I don't think anyone is gonna call this team anywhere near a Super Bowl contender, especially in the AFC. Yet, like you said, they're going to end up winning 10, 11, 12 games this year and being right there in the playoffs. It's because uh, what's-his-face, um, the, the lunatic, Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin made a deal with the devil, and he's going to have to start paying it back soon because he just, like, it. it's illegal for him to go sub-500. It's it's weird. Yeah. It's pretty crazy that even last year, with that bad as they were, they still ended up 9-8. and eight. He's, he's listen, man. He's a witch doctor. Um, let's get to the Lions. Um, I think honestly, this is probably thankfully that this game is not as fresh in our heads as it usually would be as we record on Mondays and the week we typically play on a Sunday. Because I almost put a hole in my friend's TV watching that football game. That was the word that was without doubt the worst football game of the season. Um, I know that the Ravens game Ravens, was worse. Right. I mean, the Ravens game was worse score-wise, but that was on the road against the best team in football. This was at home against a pumpkin at quarterback with a team that had half of their defensive – or half of their everything gone. Yeah. So, yeah. here I am getting upset already, but that – I mean, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I'll start with the defense because it's still – What defense? I, yeah, and I think we – I've been saying this week after week that this defense is not good – they don't play well against – oh, and then it becomes – the you talk to people around Detroit and it's the, oh, they're not good against mobile quarterbacks excuse. Uh, and then another week goes by and it's, oh, they're not good for X reason or Y reason. And I think this game on Thanksgiving with the hype and excitement around it for Lions fans uh, – and, yes, the Packers are playing much better. Jordan Love has looked better the last few weeks. Uh, there's no excuse at this point. He ran through that defense with Swiss cheese – they there was at one point where I think he only had three incompletions and they were just drops. Like every single play was a completed pass. Jaden Reed looked like he was the Devonte Adams uh, uh, in his ghost for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, as a state fan, he's not that. I'm sorry, he was a great player in the in the ten and two season, um, but he's just not. And on the offensive side, I'm going to attest this to. I think even good teams run into slumps as far as the uh, – it's a long season. And teams – I am going to use the excuse bug for the offense because I think it's just kind of a uh, a rough patch, so to speak, where Goff has had a couple bad games in a row. They turned the ball over. Uh, it wasn't the offensive line's best game. I'm not really worried about them. I think they'll get out of it. I think it's just a lull like – pretty much every single team in the NFL has at some parts, but this defense has true, true holes at all levels, the front seven, the secondary, um, they can't tackle. They had Malcolm Rodriguez play 17 different positions in that game. Uh, and he wasn't good at any of them. I, sorry, Rodrigo. Uh, 
but there are serious, serious issues on defense that uh, I'm genuinely, and I think most Lions fans are now put on alert of what this team actually is. But I think as far as where I'm at, I am legit worried they might not win the division at this point. I think they'll still find a way into the playoffs in the NFC. Uh, but I'm worried that they're not even going to win a game in the playoffs. I think that is the most realistic possibility at this point. Yeah, so I I, I guess I'll get into what I had written down. Um, I think this game and the, the Bears game, even though they won it, this is no longer an isolated incident. I mean, even you go back to the Chargers game before that, the defense is just not good. But yeah. um, you look around – we are in the second, maybe even third tier of NFL teams. I know for a long time we all wanted to talk about the possible one seed in a Super Bowl. No. We don't play the same sport as the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the 49ers. No. Um, I think you're an idiot if you think we are on the same level as the Dallas Cowboys yeah. at this point. No, and look, uh, Goff has turned it over for fun. <laughs> the last couple games, which is very worrying because one of his keys in the previous 18 games was I don't turn it over. Yeah. And I am going to play super maybe not maybe not conserved is the right word, but I'm gonna play clean. And now he's he's giving it away like Halloween candy. But um, a part of that is is especially last Thursday is the offensive line, which is regarded as one of the West in football, was awful on Thursday. So he was, was running for his life and you saw that he runs like he is trying to get out of quicksand. He cannot yeah. do it. Yeah, that was my very next line is the offensive line for the first time all season looked like a weakness rather than a strength. I mean, he got assaulted by that Green Bay pass rush. And to be fair, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, uh, they got why I, I think it's Kenny Clark, but they got the one interior guy. They got some players on their team. You know, that doesn't matter. I like to think that we have a top three offensive line in football play like it play like it uh you have your marquee box office trade deadline acquisition donovan people's jones <laughs> doing negative he lines up off sides and the very next play was the scoop and score fumble you More got a Marvin defensive jones. you have a defensive line that continues to generate negative pressure i don't care if aiden hutchinson's being double teamed i was watching uh i was watching the game last night you know who else? Have, you know who else gets double teamed every play? Khalil Mack. You know what Khalil Mack does? He tackles the quarterback. You've got another mobile quarterback who you turned into 04 Vic. You have a secondary that's banged up and cannot cover anything. You've got a coach who continues to do stupid shit. That fake punt on his own twenty. Yeah. What are you doing? Well Guess what, Dan? If all you do is go for it, and all you do is fake punts, and all you do is try and go for it, you're not you're not going to fool anyone anymore. They expect it. They expected that fake punt, which is why your dude couldn't even get to the line of scrimmage. If if every if the playbook is Dan Campbell's going to go for it every single time, why are you running fakes? At least get your yeah. offense out there to run a real play if you're going to go for it. The playbook's out on you. And again, maybe this was just the lull. It's, we've always said it. It's the NFL. It's not easy. It's a divisional game. You can't just rock in and think that you're going to stomp all over them because you're not that good. Maybe that's what this is. But to me, this is no longer an isolated incident. Go back to the Bears game. Go back to the Chargers game. I mean, 
even the Raiders game where the defense played amazing, the offense wasn't really lights out in the Raiders game. I don't really remember the last time we played a truly complete game. Uh, it'd be back to like the Atlanta or the Tampa games. Maybe, maybe did, did we did we kick the shit out of Panthers? I feel like we did. Yeah, badly. Not that that means much because who hasn't done that? They're like a pinata at a birthday party. Um, yeah, they won't win one the rest of the way. No, look, I I know that at the start of the season we said we were a ten-ish win team, plus or minus a win. And maybe for the first two months of the season, we were just living off false expectations that maybe we thought we were a 12 or 13 win team. And maybe this is then just coming back down to earth. But the schedule is obviously still in our favor. It's easy. But you mentioned the Broncos game. It doesn't look that cool anymore. I was going to say, Cowboys on the road. Cowboys on the road. And as we mentioned, the Vikings are right there. So, rut row raggy. Um, this Saints game will be key. Um, the Superdome is not a fun place to play. It's not an easy place to play. They get loud. Um, the Saints are in a divisional battle, so they might suck, but they're playing for something. They're one game behind Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, kind of like I mentioned earlier, as much as the rut row raggies are, the good news is you put yourself in a spot now at 8-2, and two, now 8-3. and three where you really only need to win two more and you're for sure in the playoffs. Yeah, but if listen, I don't even want to talk about that because if we if we blow this division, if we I mean blowing this division would be worse than I think was it the 2015 or the 2016 season where we started 8 and 1 and then Rodgers just came and dragged his balls across our face and he took it back. So, I don't want to talk about losing the division and clinching a wild card spot so that we can go lose to San Francisco. I I I hate to do that. Yeah, but okay, so we lose at home to 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 Dallas then. Oh, we play Dallas on the road, so we probably lose that one. No, I'm saying in a, in a playoff game. Oh, Dallas will also be a wild card team because they're not catching Philly. In my opinion, that's what I mean. Oh yeah, I guess I'm saying even if we won the division, what do we oh, do? Oh, uh, if we, we won play the a division, home playoff game and get pumped by Dallas. I guess. Oh uh, no, because I feel like Dallas will probably be playing the four seed, which will be the NFC South. So I think we might get lucky in the sense that we'll have to play whatever's left, and I don't know what is left because the NFC sucks. We play in Seattle, but I mean, I guess Seattle owns us, so I'd rather not do that. But yeah, hey, the Rams, Matthew Stafford's homecoming. He comes in and yeah. beats us. Could you imagine? Oh, I wouldn't be able to live. That'd be worse than Michigan. No. It would, <laughs> no, it would not be worse than Michigan winning a national title. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Which do you think is more likely at this point? Michigan wins a national championship or the Lions win a playoff game? Win a playoff game? Win a playoff game. So I'll still go with the Lions because – I think you have I think you have the division locked up and I think you're or not think I know you'll be better than the NFC South winner which means you avoid Dallas and in a home playoff game against anyone in the NFC not named Dallas San Francisco or Philadelphia I like my odds yeah whereas Michigan would still have to go through maybe an Oregon and then a Georgia afterwards that would be a hard that would be a tough tough draw if Michigan goes Georgia wins and they get the two seed only to have to play that Oregon team with Bo Nix. That would be Bo Nix is firing right now. Oh. Yeah, he's the Heisman Trophy. 
He probably is. I know I, I've always, I've said that it's oh my god, this is the win, whoever wins that game. I mean, I think I, it's, I, think I, it's, I don't even think it's Phoenix anymore. I think Phoenix is third to Jaden Daniels in my mind. Interesting. I I, I guess. Hey, we'll watch the games. Jaden Daniels ain't playing this weekend. The yeah, you are. I hate that argument. I think it. I, I think again, it's just a factor of a, a number of factors as yeah. to what determines. Oh, I'm, I don't mean it in like the sense of like, hey, like, ha ha ha. Jay Daniels wasn't good enough to be playing this weekend. I just mean in the sense of like, they get an extra game to showcase what they can do. True, that's true, and they get and to play each other, and it'll be fresher in the minds of all the voters. Yeah. So, we'll see what happens. Um, I've kind of tapped out topic topics wise. If uh, you've got something else to add. If not, uh, Michigan State basketball can't Ooh. beat a good team. Uh, no, we can't. I will say the second half on Thanksgiving, obviously, they lost to Arizona, who's a very good team, just kind of simply had athletes we don't have. Uh, to me, it's clear at this point. Uh, you've played Duke and Arizona, who are teams that have the same aspirations as we did going into this year. It's clear we still – that roster and that guys of so much experience are just not simply the athletes to be one of those teams. But I do think this is in this year's big 10, this team is still a top 25 team. They're still better than years past. Uh, and they're going to kind of with the way the schedule favors in the big 10, they are going to have a favorable schedule and be, you know, not, they're just not that top five team that we thought they were going to be. But they are better than they have been since uh, since basically the Cassius Winston years. Yep. Um, I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I'll. My critiques, I... my critique too, sorry to cut you off, is Xavier Booker was one of the best recruits Michigan State's ever gotten. And I don't know if this is an Izzo thing where he likes to play his veteran guys and likes to give them a chance. Uh how bad is he that he can't even get a single minute in that game on Thursday over Sismati Sissoko and Carson Cooper? Yeah, I I don't know. Um, That's it's... super disappointing. And I love the other two freshmen. They're not quite there. They're both still raw. I've said this week after week here in the early parts of the season. I love both of them in the minutes that they've given us. And I think they're going to only get better and better. But I'm seriously worried about him. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, from myself for the coaching hire and for the basketball season, I will go back to saying go green. Tune in next week.